hope that you can hear me. I, what I have to say must go on record somewhere before it is lost forever. I am Professor Wilbur Matlock, and my intention is to record my thoughts and feelings onto these tapes, to document them as fully as I am able, so that in the event of my death or a cover-up by forces unknown, at least something of what I have learned may survive. The stories you are about to hear are improbable. You may even find them ridiculous. But please believe me when I tell you that they are all true. Professor Wilbur Matlock was defined by his private studies into what he referred to as the extraordinary, mad science, bad science, and even encounters with supernatural and alien creatures. Despite the professor's claim that his experiences are all true, we can make no guarantees that the events recounted on these tapes actually occurred as described. That is for you to decide. Break on through. The following is taken from the Express and Echo, dated the 14th of September 1972. Missing student baffles police. The disappearance of a University of Exeter student over the summer has continued to baffle Devon and Cornwall police despite their best efforts. Following an extensive search across the county by hundreds of volunteers, seemingly no trace of Lisa Brown, 20, originally from Hertfordshire, has been found. Lisa was due to return home for the summer from her halls of residence following the completion of her second year of studies reading philosophy, yet when she did not arrive home, her worried parents made the trip down to Devon to find her room locked and, upon further investigation, empty. Extensive interviews have been carried out across the city, yet so far no concrete leads have presented themselves. Rumours of a hooded group or cult with possible links to Sarah are not only unhelpful and insensitive at this present time, but are also unfounded, according to local police. The search continues. Quite frankly, miss, I wish you'd never rung me. I said to the young woman sitting opposite me as I rose from the uncomfortable chair to leave. Please, she begged with exhaustion, looking me straight in the eye. You're the only one who can help. That is where you are most certainly wrong. Might I suggest finding some sort of therapy, or better still, handing yourself in at the nearest police station? I turned for the door, grabbing my coat from the stand. The young woman raised her voice. But you don't understand! I'm going to die! With that, the café descended into stony silence as the handful of patrons, midway through a late lunch of sandwiches and coffee, turned to stare at us. Even the kettle seemed to stop boiling. It was lunchtime on the 7th of March, 1973, and I had arrived in Exeter that morning with the promise of the truth. The truth behind the disappearance of one Lisa Brown, who had disappeared from her halls of residence six months prior in the summer of 1972. A student at the University of Exeter, 
Lisa never returned home for the summer and was declared missing soon after. Although an extensive manhunt had been conducted, with staff, students and locals quizzed and questioned, there was little to go on to begin with, and what there was seemed flimsy. Lisa was a quiet girl, good grades, punctual, polite, no boyfriend to speak of, in fact, perhaps few friends to speak of at all. Whilst I had seen coverage in the papers, I paid it little more than a passing thought of sympathy to her family. Truth be told, such a case didn't tend to pique my interest. There had been some talk of cult sightings, hooded figures and the like, but this appeared to be some sort of joke made in poor taste by the student body of the city. Come the early spring of 1973, Lisa's whereabouts remained unknown, the trail stone-dead cold, as she was also likely to be. No one, it seemed, knew anything, or so we all thought until I received a call on the evening of the 6th of March from Catherine Heems. I know what happened to Lisa Brown, was what she had said on the phone. Catherine refused to say anything further and insisted upon me meeting her. Certainly intrigued and slightly perplexed as to why this Catherine wanted to talk to me about all this, I boarded the earliest train to Exeter and met her in a cafe a short walk from the station. Catherine was a young woman in her early twenties. Certainly she could be no older than twenty-two. She was sat at a small circular table by the front window, nursing a warm cup of coffee. She was the pinnacle of fashion, or at least by my reckoning. Long brown hair, short skirt, thigh-high boots and a knitted vest top. Unfortunately, whatever she had been expecting from a professor of alternative science, I certainly wasn't it. Her expression as I introduced myself was a pained grimace of embarrassment, usually reserved for a, well, for a fussy mother or a drunk uncle. After introductions had been made, and I'd ordered myself a cheese sandwich and a cup of tea, Catherine lost patience. So do you want to know what happened to Lisa Brown or not? She whispered. I wouldn't be here if I didn't, I replied in a similarly hushed tone. She's dead. There was a pause, and I could see a flicker of recognition as to the magnitude of what Catherine had just told me. She's dead, and we killed her, and now I'm going to die next. What do you mean we killed her? Who's we? Why are you going to die? I started, overwhelmed by the abundance of information. We? Jack? Harry? Louise? Sylvia? Alex? Oh, and, and Mary. Mary was the leader, I guess. What was this? Some sort of after-school club? No, no, we're at university here. We were at university here. Term had finished and Mary found these dusty old books at the back of the shelf in the library. It was never supposed to go that far. It was just a stupid game. We were messing about. It was just an excuse to get wasted over the summer or whatever. You know, falling around, trying stuff out, getting laid. But then it got serious. Serious? How serious? A murdered girl serious, I thought for myself as soon as I'd said it. What were all these books about? Oh, you know, this and that. The occult. Demonology. It was then that the itch to leave began. Drug-filled uni sex club gets ideas about summoning a demon, is that it? I quickly surmised, less than impressed. Now Catherine's silence invited me to continue. And let me guess, this book of yours, did it say a summoning required a blood sacrifice? More silence. It was at this point I began to make my excuses. 
I didn't like having my time wasted, and I certainly didn't like murderers. I'm going to die. They're dead. They're all dead. It got Jack first, then Louise, then Alex. Now Harry and Sylvia. It's got them all. It's coming. It's coming for me. Don't you get it? I'm next. Catherine pulled out a scrap of newspaper, pushing it into the palm of my hand. Please, Professor, you have to help me. I... I don't want to die. Her pleading would have been pathetic had it not been so tragic. As Catherine begged me to stay, tears pricked in her eyes, orbs of black as her face turned a whiter shade of pale. Her grip began to tighten on my hand, and it was in that moment I realised she wasn't looking at me, but through me. I turned to see nothing but empty air, yet she began trembling, shaking, rooted to the spot. Then came the scream. As the scream parted from her lips, the window we stood next to shattered, the force of the explosion throwing us to the vinyl floor of the cafe. Why the window chose that moment to break, I have never truly known. Yet what I did know was that I couldn't leave. In the hubbub of the following seconds, amongst the shock and panic, in a shard of the broken window, I saw a figure. A figure not of this earth. The following is an excerpt from the Bath Chronicle, dated the 16th of January 1973. Tragic death of young local. Yesterday evening, tragedy struck the city of Bath as a promising young local man was found dead on the banks of the River Avon. Harry Williams, 20, a student at the University of Exeter, was found by dog walkers just after 6pm. His family has been informed. No cause of death has been given and his demise is being treated as unexplained, though police have said foul play is not suspected at this time. This casts doubt on a potential serial killing spree, with Williams, the fifth University of Exeter student, to die in unexplained circumstances in as many months. Is this thing on? Yes? Oh, good. Right then. Uh, this is Professor Wilbur Matlock. It is the evening of the 7th of March, 1973. I am in a small office space kindly donated by the staff of the University Library in Exeter for this experiment, and I am about to perform regression hypnosis on Catherine Heems in order to clearly access Catherine's living memories of the event in question. Catherine has been placed in a trance state prior to commencing this recording. Catherine, can you raise your right hand for me? Catherine has raised her right hand. Catherine, can you please lower your right hand? She has lowered her right hand. Catherine, I want you to cast your mind back to last summer. What you did last summer, the, the night Lisa died. Can you do that for me? Yes. Good. Now, where are you? We are in the basement of the cathedral. We are standing around the altar. We are dressed in our ceremonial robes. Who is with you, Catherine? Who is there? All of us are here. Jack Dexter, Alexander Lewis, Louise Poole, Harry Williams, Sylvia Wright, and Mary, Mary Valentine, and me. Is Lisa with you? 
Yes. Where did you get Lisa to come, Catherine? How did you get Lisa to come? We need a sacrifice, a full body of fresh human blood must be spilt upon the altar under the utterance of the allotted words to bring forth the being. We invited her to our pre-ritual and drugged her drink with sleeping pills. Your pre-ritual? Did Lisa take part? She couldn't make up her mind. That's why we never invited her to begin with. Jack said she was too much of a prude. She'd tell someone and we'd get kicked out. But she was so desperate to join, always following us around. That's why Mary said she would make the perfect sacrifice. I I thought it was, it was a bad idea, but Mary insisted. She talked me into it. What happens now, Catherine? How do you summon the demon? What happens to Lisa? We have removed our robes. We are in our most primal form now, ready to accept the presence of the higher consciousness to invite the being to join us with the offer of blood. What do you mean, primal form? Are you uh, naked? Yes. He is so big. Who's big? Have you summoned the demon already? How? Not the demon. Jack. Jack is looking at me. He's so big. Oh, uh, <clears throat> I, I see. Uh, <clears throat> but the, the demon, Catherine, uh, and Lisa... Uh, what happens to Lisa? Harry has carried her into the basement. He holds her over the altar. This altar, what does it look like? It is ancient stone, large, long. A pentagram is carved into it. Mary has taken the knife. Mary has slit Lisa's throat. The, the blood floods from her onto the stone. Harry drops her. It's, it's happening. We're chanting, chanting the allotted words. The candles have lit themselves. I can hear the organ above. It's coming, it must be coming. But, but Lisa's rising. She's rising off the floor. She's upright above us. She's bleeding, she's raining blood. She's bleeding from everywhere. Her nails, her eyes, her throat, her mouth. It's happening again, my God. It can't be happening again. Catherine is now sweating profusely. Catherine? Catherine, can you hear me? What has happened to Lisa? She's above us, right above our head. She's floating, screaming. It's not her voice, that can't be her. It's too horrific, it's hellish. My God, oh my Lord, Jesus Christ. It's coming through her body, it's, it's, what is it? Catherine is in a near convulsive state. Catherine, 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 come back to me. Come back to me now. <sighs> Catherine, you're safe. It's 1973, you're with me in the library. Catherine, when I tell you to open your eyes, you will be out of the trance. And open. What? What happened? Catherine is no longer in a trance state. How long was I under? A few minutes, uh, no more than a quarter of an hour. Jesus, what did I say? I really didn't want to do that. You had to. It was the only way. Only way how? You could have just asked me. That would have risked you lying to me, or even lying to yourself. Regression hypnosis greatly reduces mental obstruction to the facts. So, it's impossible to lie under hypnosis? Nothing is impossible, Catherine. Just improbable. Would you uh, give me a moment? This is Professor Wilbur Matlock, again on the... 
7th of March 1973. Test concluded. The following is quoted directly from Devon, Its People, Places and History, Volume 1, 1500 to 1799, by Elizabeth Hicks. Witch trials rose to their highest numbers in England during the 17th century, and Devon was no exception, with the Biddeford Witch Trials of 1682 claimed to be the last time women accused of witchcraft were executed by hanging in England, though others dispute this claim. Not as well documented, however, is the case of the rogue monks of Buckfast Lee, who claimed to have discovered the voice of God. Rumours persisted that these monks could communicate with heaven and hell, even going as far as to worship at a stone altar, regularly offering blood sacrifices. Such was the persistence of these rumours that upon investigation by local authorities, the monks were imprisoned and later executed for blasphemy with the stone altar seized. The location of the stone altar remains a mystery as it drops out of records at the turn of the 19th century. Rumours persist that the altar is located in Exeter Cathedral, though multiple searches of the cathedral and its grounds have found no trace. The key to the mystery lay in the books, specifically the book that the group had been using that night. If I could find it, I could perhaps deduce what Catherine and her friends had brought upon themselves. Not for one second did I believe that magic words and human sacrifice had summoned a demon from hell but certainly the students had managed to break on through to somewhere else and bring something back in the process. Catherine, having managed to recover from her time under hypnosis, proceeded to guide me to the relevant section of the library. Textbook after textbook was skimmed and discarded by the pair of us. The thing is, I theorised, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as any scientific mind could be concerned, this notion about allotted words is frankly poppycock. What I think you've got here is a biological gateway, but rather than something from Yale, it needs blood. You've not summoned a demon, you've unlocked a portal to somewhere else in space and time, and that thing has come through. These worshippers hundreds of years ago, hmm, someone must have stumbled onto the altar, or even built it perhaps. Yes, they must have built it over a fixed point in the dimensional barrier, where physics works differently, on... DNA, not Newton's third law. That explains the blood. So that thing, Catherine began, is from another dimension. Only logical conclusion, I affirmed. But why is it killing us? Same reason a wasp tries to sting you if you close the window behind it. It's panicked. It's lashing out. It wants to go home. As I spoke, I continued coursing through the shelves, looking for anything of interest. So all this hocus-pocus mumbo-jumbo is simply balderdash. You and the others may as well have been chanting Mary had a little lamb for all the good it would have done. Come to think of it, who is this Mary? You didn't say this thing had got her. What makes you think you're next? And why not Mary? Didn't you say it was her who found the book in the first place? It was then that I found it, the book. It was hidden at the back of a shelf of philosophy texts, as though someone had returned it and never wanted anyone to find it again. Though the thick, leather-bound volume was fraying at the spine, the pages clinging on for dear life, it was relatively dust-free. 
I saw in my peripheral that Catherine had stopped reading and was looking straight at me. This is it then? I said, acknowledging I had caught her gaze. She nodded. As I paged through the book, it dawned on me like a ton of bricks falling from the sky. The inner cover page confirmed it. On the list of withdrawals was no mention of Mary Valentine. Mary Valentine did not exist. But there were two entries for Catherine Heems, one dated May 1972 and the other dated a week ago. You tried it again, didn't you? I asked as the cogs began to turn, thinking out loud, not even expecting a response from Catherine. You knew you were going to die, so you tried to use the words from the book, but it didn't work. But why didn't you kill again? Complete the whole ritual? I didn't want to. I didn't want to if I didn't need to, she lamented. And you couldn't work it out. You couldn't bear to work it out. So you rang me. That's why I needed you, Catherine interrupted. That's why you needed me, I concurred. You were perfect. Degree from Oxford, in the phone book, alternative science or whatever you advertised it as. And that's why you invented Mary, so I would help you. Just an innocent bystander, caught up in the sex and the drugs, and now hunted by a demon from hell. But that's not the truth, is it, Catherine? It wasn't supposed to be like this. You killed Lisa, didn't you, Catherine? You took the knife and you slit her throat. I'm sorry, okay? Believe me, I'm sorry, truly. I just don't want to die. We all die eventually, Catherine, some more prematurely than others. Do you think that Lisa wanted to die that night? I'm sorry, Professor. I turned to walk away from her in disgust, so caught up in my own indignance that I didn't see Catherine slip the thick ancient book from the desk. Whipping it around, she swung it into the side of my head, hard. I fell, stunned to the floor. When I came to, shaken to consciousness by the concerned librarian, Catherine was gone, and so was the book. It took me less than a second to realise where she had gone. Ignoring the librarian's suggestion that I seek medical attention, I stumbled from the library into the cold, dank night. Death was in the air. If this was to end, someone had to die. Either the extra-dimensional being would find and kill Catherine, or she would find an innocent to excuse herself of her impending fate. Blood would spill. Looking to the skyline, I made my way through the orange glow of the street lamps to the cathedral, pushing open its great wooden doors, drawing my tape recorder as I went. Whatever happened next, I wanted it on record. Catherine! Catherine! Where are you? For the love of God, please let me help you. Please. Where? The basement. She'll be at the altar in the basement. Catherine, there you are. 
Young lady, please. Don't you, young lady me. Keep back. Don't come any closer. Catherine, step away from the altar. Drop the knife. I know what I have to do. Yes, but no, just, just come back upstairs with me. We'll find another way. Why do you care? Why wouldn't I care? You worked it out. You said it yourself. I killed Lisa. I murdered her in cold blood. Yes, and that's plenty of mistakes for one lifetime. Don't you think? Let's not add to it by taking your own. And do what? I, I haven't got that far. But we'll work something out between us. I'm sure. You're wasting time. It's all my fault. They're all dead and it's all my fault. No. No. Please, Catherine. I have to die. Or someone else does. We don't know that for sure. I don't want any more suffering because of me. No more pain. No more death. No more blood. Do you believe in an afterlife, Professor? Heaven and hell? I... well... I... that's quite a big question. Do you have quite a big answer? Well, no. Not right now. But if you, if you come upstairs with me, I'm sure I can devise some... I guess I'll find out for myself. Do you suppose it'll hurt? Hell? Is that where I'm going? I didn't say that. Dying, though, like this, will it hurt? There's no way of knowing. It looked quite painful. Perhaps it'll be quick. You don't have to do this, Catherine. We'll find another way. Another solution. Just come back upstairs with me, please. If I come back up with you, that thing will find me and it'll kill me. I want it on my terms. Oh, oh Lord, Jesus Christ. She's done it. My God, she's done it. It's, it's draining from her neck. But she's, it's just like she said. She's levitating. She's floating right above me. She's still alive somehow. She's still alive, my God. The blood is everywhere. Wait with the candles, they bit themselves. And could you hear that? The church organ. The organ is playing itself upstairs. Catherine! Catherine! She's rising. Rising! She's broken to the ceiling. God! window now. She's still bleeding. It's here. The, the thing. The demon. It's here. It's grotesque. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. It's rising. It has no sense of gravity. It's twisting and contorting around her.
Fire. There's, there's fire. A great column of flame has risen from the altar. It's, it's swallowing them. It's swallowing them both. They're gone. They're all gone. Finally, a thunderstorm resulting from freak localised low pressure in Devon yesterday evening is being blamed for the damage caused to Exeter Cathedral. The cathedral's large stained glass windows were left in pieces with some of the stone flooring smashed to the point it was possible to look upon the basement below. A professor, Wilbur Matlock, who was arrested at the scene under suspicion of causing criminal damage, was later released without charge. When asked for a comment, the professor said he was doing some brass rubbings Talking of thunderstorms, it's time to get to the weather. Later, I met Catherine's father, and rather than recount to him the events that had transpired, I merely told him that I was one of Catherine's lecturers, that she had wanted to start a new life away from everyone with no contact from friends or family, and that I had helped her relocate to America. Her father seemed so lacking in surprise at this that I couldn't help but feel uneasy. Catherine's father was a very well-to-do man with a very well-to-do solicitor, and the non-disclosure agreement I was forced to sign all but confirmed to me that Catherine's family had been aware of the murder she had committed, though they were unlikely to believe the circumstances, and had ensured it was covered up by the proper authorities. That she had seemingly cut all ties and moved halfway around the world was likely a relief to them. Releasing these recordings at the present time would result in a lawsuit that would not only bankrupt me, but would likely ruin what little reputation I have. A month later, Lisa Brown was declared dead in absentia, her family never to receive closure. With the deaths of those others involved, and Catherine's own demise, the truth of those events was lost to the other side. Only I remain. Only I know. Please help us keep the work of Professor Matlock alive. Like, comment, subscribe and share this podcast. The Matlock Tapes, Break On Through, was written and presented by Giles Cosgrove. It guest featured Charlotte Grant as Catherine Heems and Thomas Thorne as the news presenter. Musical themes were by Mr. Brown, and the series creator and producer was James Baxter. <laughs>